This is a podcast by The Straits Times. After thousands of photos were stolen from Hong Kong pop star Edison Chen's laptop and leaked to the public in 2008, resulting in one of the most controversial and frantically covered sex scandals of all time in Asian entertainment, the police pulled out all the stops and tried to track down the source distributing the photos online. But one bad move after another ignited a public relations disaster for the police that even led to netizens marching on the streets in protest. Welcome to Can I Tell You Something Crazy, a series presented by Pop Vouchers re-examining events that shook Asian media and entertainment with fresh eyes. This is part two on the Edison Chen sex photo gate, where we'll cover the police response, the trial, the public falling out, and later reconciliation between the scandal's major stars, Edison Chen, Jillian Chong, and Cecilia Cheong. Part 1 is available in Pop Vouchers archives. So, can I tell you something crazy? The first photos of Edison Chen and Jillian Chong were leaked on January 27, 2008. And the police moved fairly fast. Just three days later, they had made their first, and in hindsight, unfortunate arrest of the entire saga. Chong Ik Tin, an unemployed 29-year-old man. On February 2nd, another five men and two women were arrested, including computer technician Si Ho Chun. Remember this name because we shall circle back to him later. For now, let's focus on Chong Ik Tin, whose arrest set alight the public's simmering unhappiness with the police. When he was arrested, Chong Ik Tin was found in possession of 12 obscene photos of celebrities, including those of Chen and Jillian Chong and he was charged with publishing one of them. Now, this may all seem pretty normal for now, nothing that raises any eyebrows, except, crucially, he was denied bail. Amongst all the individuals who were eventually arrested as part of this saga, Chong Ik Tin was the only one denied bail. He was also apparently not offered any legal representation at the time of his arrest. Now, at the time of his charging, the Lunar New Year was only one week away. The prosecution applied to adjourn the case for eight weeks, pending police investigation and legal advice. This meant that Chong Ik Tin was supposed to spend eight weeks, including Lunar New Year, the most important holiday for the Chinese, in prison before he was even deemed guilty. This immediately caused an uproar within the Hong Kong public. Why was Chong Ik Tin denied bail? Shouldn't he be regarded as innocent until proven guilty? What would merit him being in jail for eight weeks prior to a trial? To the public, it felt excessive and unfair. But worse still, it felt like a case of the police bullying the poor and the underprivileged in order to placate famous, wealthy celebrities with a photo-taking kink in bed. What had begun as just a routine arrest of a man distributing an obscene photograph was seen as an abuse of power, a violation of human rights. And police clarifications that Chong Ik Tin was denied bail because he was also involved in a fraud case did not help. Netizens staged protests, an estimated 300 people marched to police headquarters in Wan Chai 
to urge the police to apologize to Chong Ik-tin and release him immediately. Advocates visited Chong Ik-tin in prison and worked to get him legal support. A web campaign in support of him raised 600,000 Hong Kong dollars, which is about over 100,000 in Singh. Commentators in the media called for the police to focus on the quote-unquote real source, Edison Chen, to arrest Edison Chen instead of targeting ordinary people. There were also commentaries in online forums that even urged the police to just entirely stop focusing on who distributed the photos, but to punish the celebrities themselves because they were, quote-unquote, conducting themselves in such unsavory and unbecoming ways, as though engaging in sexual activity in private was some sort of crime. And of course, it did not help that there were other cases the police just did not seem to pay as much attention to. There was a case of an auxiliary police officer who posted his own nude pictures online, and there were also other cases of nude pictures released without one's consent. It also brought up old gossip. Remember how I said in the first episode that Cecilia Cheong's romance with her husband Nicholas C. involved a car crash? In 2002, Nicholas C. crashed his car and arranged for his driver to take the blame. Cecilia Cheong was the one who drove him away from the scene of the crash. This was a particularly juicy detail because Mando pop diva Fei Wong and not Cecilia Cheong, was C's on-the-record girlfriend at the time. Now, at that time, the police was accused of being in cahoots with C. A cop by the surname of Lau was charged and eventually jailed for conspiring in a cover-up with C and his driver. And even though Lau's name would later be cleared upon appeal, the optics were still horrible, and all the racy photogate did was remind the public of it. The police made even more missteps, unfortunately, Commissioner Tang King-shing went on a radio talk show on February 2nd, where he warned that distributing these pictures were a serious crime, and that even having the pictures on your computer could be in breach of the law. Now, this led to even more anger and confusion, because Hong Kong law stipulates that the possession of obscene material for the purposes of publication is illegal. The key word here being publication. This means that it is technically legal to keep the pictures without publishing them. Barring those involving minors, possession of pornography and obscene material per se is not actually illegal. People were outraged, in part because at this point, many, many people were in possession of the images, and it felt as if the police were sowing terror intentionally. That was trying to intimidate the public. They was trying to confuse them and scare them. In fact, the term white terror was banded about. White terror, as in the period of brutal martial law and political repression that was implemented in Taiwan from 1949 to 1987. That's what people were comparing this police effort to. Martial law. The controversy around the commissioner's comments got so bad that two days later, the assistant commissioner, Vincent Wong Fuk Chuen, had to walk back his boss's statements. It might sound hard to believe, but bear with me because this is his translated quote. He said, Now if you send these racy pictures to other people, and those people are old friends of yours, everyone has known each other for a long time, everyone is looking at the pictures together, 
and your friend says, "Hey, can you make me a copy?" That's okay. That's not illegal. Yeah, the controversy got so bad that instead of discouraging the spread and viewing of these pictures, the police actually came out and said, "Yes, you are allowed to spread these pictures in the private sphere." Now, due to public pressure, Chong Ikhtin was eventually released on February fifteenth, much earlier before the eight weeks were up. He walked free because the photo he published was deemed to be indecent and not obscene by the Obscene Articles Tribunal, and so the charge was withdrawn. Instead of quelling public anger, this only opened the police up to more attacks. Why was Chong Ikhtin arrested, charged? And held without bail before the photo he published was deemed as obscene. Does this mean Chong Ikting was arrested without sufficient evidence or legal basis? Also, what exactly does indecent and obscene mean then? Because given what people had seen of all of these images, how could these photos possibly not be deemed obscene? This debate even caused tabloids to run several of the pictures side by side, with various experts weighing in. Giving a rating to each of the photos was this normal, indecent, or obscene? This crisis of public confidence was compounded by the revelation that after so many arrests, the police had yet to send even one offending photo to the Obscene Articles Tribunal. The photo that Chong Ikhtin published and was eventually deemed indecent was sent to the tribunal by a newspaper and not the police. So the public wondered. How could the police possibly be charging all these people without determining whether any of these photos were considered obscene to begin with? The police, for their part, insisted that there was nothing wrong with the way they acted. And I read through several old reports of Chong's case, and while there were many who were outraged at what the police did, it seemed as if what the police did was actually mostly above board. They were actually right to charge Chong before submitting the pictures to the tribunal. In a report about the case by South China Morning Post, Senior Assistant Director of Public Prosecutions Anthea Pang said the law actually allowed enforcers to launch a prosecution before submitting an article to the tribunal. And in another report by the South China Morning Post at the time, University of Hong Kong law lecturer Eric Chong Tak Ming was quoted as saying. In a criminal case, if the tribunal classifies an an article before the case has gone through the court, it poses more disadvantages to the defendant, in this case Chong Ikhtin, as the case is prejudged. Basically, if the picture was prejudged as obscene prior to the trial beginning, defendants would find it very hard to argue that they did not publish an obscene photo. And no matter what we might think about someone who does something like this. They retained the right to a fair trial, but these legalities, however, were lost in the conversation, and it just didn't matter anyway. The damage was done. Chong Ikhtin had been held in prison for over two weeks at that point. The press ran headlines about how he had suffered a miscarriage of justice. The public was distrustful of the police, accusing them of only applying the law selectively. Politicians urged the police to apologize and even proposed motions to review how they handled the case. It should be said that the police were actually doing what we believe police should be doing in such cases, which is everything in their power to stem the spread of the pictures. 
Unfortunately, the public just didn't buy that they put in the same effort for every case. It reinforced the idea that the law only favoured the rich. And indeed, their efforts certainly seem excessive, especially in the case of denying Chong Ik-tin bail. Chong Ik-tin would later go to prison on separate charges of credit card fraud. A few months after this whole fiasco came the first conviction of the saga. In July 2008, logistics clerk Kwok chun Wai admitted to publishing 83 photos of female stars in sex acts with Addison Chen. He had downloaded 140 celebrity sex pictures from the internet, saved them to a server, and posted 25 hyperlinks for people to view the images on a Hong Kong-based adult discussion forum between January 29th and February 6th. For this act, he was sentenced to two months jail but suspended for two years, so he actually escaped jail time. Now, from the timeline and the fact that he downloaded these images off the internet, it's clear he was not the source that first distributed the photographs. So who was? That would be Zi Ho Chun, a computer technician working at Elite Multimedia. While servicing Chen's laptop in 2006, he discovered and unlocked encrypted files, some 1,300 sexually explicit pictures of Chen with female stars, and copied the images. Zi, who was 23 in 2008, was charged with three counts of obtaining access to a computer with a view to making a dishonest gain between January 1st and June 8, 2006. This would mean that at the time of the crime, Zi was about 21. In his judgment convicting Zi, Chief Magistrate Tong Man noted that Zi had copied the images from his company's external hard drive, to which Chen's data was apparently backed up while his laptop was being serviced, then burnt the images onto a CD and gave the CD to one of his clients. Defense barrister Kelvin Lai Kinwa argued that Zi Ho Chun was just a scapegoat and that there were many others involved in the case, such as the two female clients that Zi had showed the photos to, Zi's colleagues and boss who all had knowledge of the pictures, but were, according to Kelvin Lai, playing down their involvement in the case. But Zi Ho Chun was still eventually sentenced to more than eight months in jail. Chief Magistrate Tong said that while there was no evidence that Zi had intended to disseminate the photos widely or use them for blackmail, he put the photos at extreme risk of being distributed when he copied them onto a CD. This thus warranted a custodial sentence. The trial was controversial in more ways than one. Firstly, Edison Chen was widely expected to return to Hong Kong to testify for the trial, but he eventually refused to do so, citing concerns for his safety. And put a pin in that because we shall get back to it later. So the Hong Kong Department of Justice had to fly a legal team, including Chief Magistrate Tong Man, to Vancouver, Chen's hometown, which again raised questions about the amount of resources spent on this case. Before he was cross-examined, Chen told the judges that he will not answer questions of an intimate nature about the women seen in the pictures. I am determined to protect their innocence, he said. They have suffered enough. Now another point of contention the defense actually at one point said they were going to call four women seen in the photos as witnesses for their case. Now, this plan was dropped after an interview with Cecilia Cheong Ed. This interview ad on iCable was actually in response to what Edison had said in the trial about 
protecting the women, and it was a truly scathing response. Cecilia called Chen a hypocrite and a fraud. She teared up several times during the sit-down interview and said that Edison Chen and not the media was the one who had caused her the most harm. She criticized how he claimed to want to protect the victims but failed to do so. That the photos were still circulating out on the internet and said he had done nothing to stop it. She also accused him of dismissing her and her manager in the earliest days of the scandal, turning off his phone and becoming uncontactable afterwards. Now, in the year 2023, after many, many cases of revenge porn, of leaked photos, of hackings, it is easy to see that Chen was in no position to protect the victims. We know now, without a doubt, that there is no way something put out on the internet can ever really stop circulating, which was probably something we just weren't so viscerally aware of in 2008. And not to take anything away from Cecilia Cheong, but Edison Chen was himself a victim. Intimate images of him were circulated without his permission. He too was shamed by the public, the media, and even received death threats, which again we're going to talk about later. Going into hiding was an understandable response. But of course, in the same way, Cecilia Cheong's need for an outlet for her anger and her trauma is equally understandable. We're now nearing the end of the saga, and if this was a movie, we would pretty much have all the loose ends tied up. But this is real life, and real life doesn't have satisfactory endings. The sentencing of Si Ho Chun did not give us all the answers. Despite multiple arrests and the discovery that the pictures were stolen off Chen's laptop while it was being serviced by Xi and his colleagues, to this day, there is no evidence to suggest that Xi himself put the photos up online. And to this day, we don't know who Kira, the mysterious poster teasing the release of photos before they dropped, is. After the trial wrapped, Edison Chen gave an interview to CNN in June 2009 his first interview since the scandal completely upended his life. And he gave more details about the case. He says that he had deleted the pictures before he sent it for repairs, that the staff of elite multimedia had copied his hard drive and recovered the memory from there. He says that all the photos were taken with consent, and that aside from the people he took the pictures with, he never showed them to anyone. And he added that all the pictures that were released on the internet were taken before 2004, and also that he was never actually blackmailed. Now, it has to be pointed out that what Chen claims does not fully align with the timeline of what we know. If all the pictures were taken prior to 2004, there should not have been pictures of Vincy Young, who he reportedly only began dating in 2006. And I'm no computer expert, and I'm not Edison Chen, and I'm not Si Ho Chun, so I cannot say for sure whether those pictures were deleted or otherwise. But regardless of whether you believe him, those photos were still stolen and published without his or the women's consent. That is an undisputed fact. And his trauma was just as real as any victim who has ever been violated in this way. Here's a clip from his interview. Tell me about the moment that you realized that these photos were everywhere. I was shocked. Um, I was in disbelief. Someone called me. I was sleeping in the morning. 
What did they say? Says, have you checked the internet yet? You should go check the internet. Well, now I'm just sleeping. Please, just you really need to go to this website and look at it right now. I looked at the website and I almost. I don't even know how to put it in words. I, I don't even know how to put that feeling in words. It was like everything just got sucked out of me. And I was like looking and I was like, wow, this is so where, what, when, how, confusion, like what to do. Oh my God, my family. Oh my God, my girlfriend. Oh my God, my career. Oh my God, the girls. Oh, the press is going to have a field day. Um, I have to fix this problem as soon as possible. That was the first day where two or three photos were out only. So imagine by the 800th photo, how I was feeling. I was, it was a nightmare that never ended. It never ended. I would go to bed and I would pray. I would pray, please, please, God, today, please be the last day. I pray I'll do anything, you know, anything, please, today. Aside from feeling so shocked and so helpless, Chen also talked about hiding in the boots of taxis to get around Hong Kong in the first few days of the scandal. This was before he left the city when he was still working with police and his lawyers and reportedly ignoring Cecilia Cheong's calls because he was so scared of being pabbed. And even just putting aside the unimaginable emotional damage of these pictures being leaked and the incessant media coverage, Chen had real concerns about his physical safety. He received mysterious calls of death threats on his phone when he was apparently back in Hong Kong for that fateful press conference where he admitted to taking the pictures. And after he started making his comeback in February 2009, when he began attending events by brands like Adidas and, and Kaush Jr. in Singapore, he received an even scarier death threat. A 9mm bullet was sent with a threatening letter to cable TV in Hong Kong and another letter of similar content with another bullet was sent to Nick's media as well. Both the letters were final warnings to Chen, warning him not to make any public appearances after April 4, 2009, or his life would be in danger. Now, perhaps because when Chen announced his indefinite stepping away from the Hong Kong entertainment, a lot of press took it to mean that he is quitting entertainment, which is not the case. As such, his comeback might have angered some people. But Chen took it in his stride because, as he said in CNN interview, he did not want to live a life in fear and hiding. And so, he showed up again in Singapore, Wanae Camillo, on April 5th, a day after the supposed final warning deadline to promote his much-delayed movie, The Sniper. Now, as we all know, Edison Chen is still alive and well today. And as far as we are aware, no attempts were ever made on his life, thankfully. Before we go into the present day to look at the lives of those involved now, it is good to take a moment to consider how this scandal was covered. What was missing in the coverage? What is familiar to us even today? And where this scandal stands in history and time? Now, I read countless reports in both Mandarin and in English. I went through blogs and forums, and I saw this scandal being framed in many, many ways. As an issue of sexual morals and celebrities' bad behavior, their messy personal relationships, their sexual deviance, 
It was sometimes framed as a copyright infringement issue or a issue of privacy and security threat. How do you protect your data from getting looted off your devices? It was framed as a debate between what counted as obscene and what counted as indecent. It was framed as a story of police incompetence and police's double standards, messing up the arrest, giving special treatment to stars. And while there were voices and people, even then, defending Chen and the women as victims, nowhere in this extensive media coverage and even online comments did I find any discussion of this story as one of sexual abuse. Because make no mistake, what happened to these celebrities is an act of sexual violence. Sharing somebody's nude and sexually explicit pictures with others without their consent is sexual violence. It is an act of violation that strips someone of their autonomy. The victims have shared about how they feel in the wake of the, the leak. They felt exposed, they felt humiliated and scared. Because their power to decide who they share their body with was stolen from them. And sexual abuse is not often about gratification. It is about power. Kira, whoever he or she is, could have leaked the pictures without teasing when it would be released. But Kira dangled those pictures, set a time for the release, made people sit at their desks and refresh the forums over and over again. In an act that lorded power and, and fear over the victims, it is a malicious, vile act. And many, many people participated in it by looking at the pictures, by sharing them with more people. And it is very tempting to think that in 2023, after Me Too, after the culture has become more enlightened or woke, so to speak, that the media would do a better job covering it in much less victim-blaming ways. But we know, even if such attitudes are not given play in major news outlets, which is an improvement, no doubt, they still persist in people's minds. They persist on the internet. They persist in comments. And so much of what we saw with the shaming of Cecilia and particularly Gillian Chong are so familiar. One of the great malign women of our times is American pop star Britney Spears. Like Gillian Chong, she was a young woman shamed for having sex, for not being pure and innocent. And like Cecilia Chong, Britney was also shamed for being an unfit mother, and all of them were given very little privacy and sympathy from the public in their hour of greatest need. This scandal also occupies a truly fascinating space in the grand history of the internet and the media and of Hong Kong itself. You have to remember that in 2008, this was before widespread cloud storage. This was when people were just storing things on their computers or, or in thumb drives or in floppy disks, if we are old enough to remember that. This was before social media took off, before people were really used to having an onslaught of images, particularly pictures, selfies, wifis on our fingertips. And crucially, as I mentioned at the beginning of the first episode, the internet was already fairly advanced in 2008. It was fairly widely used, but not the smartphone. 
This was very, very early in the days of the smartphone. iPhone 1 came out in 2007. So this was a very, very weird and brief period of time when people were fairly used to surfing the web, but not on mobile devices just yet. Which is why so much of this scandal played out in print magazines. People bought these print titles in droves to read them. As we now know, very, very soon after this, when people began consuming news on online sites or on Facebook via their phones, online news would completely overshadow print media. That's why all of these magazines that I talked about in the first episode that move hundreds of thousands of copies, most of them aren't in print anymore. In fact, a lot of them have completely ceased publications because of declining readership and advertisements. Apple Daily, The Sun, Sudden Weekly, Hurani Joe are all gone now. And Jimmy Lai, who owned Nick's Media, which had titles like Apple Daily, is now in jail. Uh, Lai is a prominent pro-democracy and, and a prominent critic of the Chinese government. He was arrested in 2021 for violating Hong Kong's new national security law. That same year, Nick's Digital's headquarters was raided by the police. And in a blow to the city's media freedom, Apple Daily ceased publication as well. The Hong Kong Stock Exchange recently cancelled the shares of Nix Digital in January, officially delisting it. And even looking at the stars involved too, in some ways, people like Edison Chen, people like Cecilia Cheung are the last major batch of Hong Kong movie stars we know. You know, going back before their time, we had people like Tony Leong, Leslie Cheung, Anita Mui, Stephen Chow, Andy Lau. But I struggle to think of someone in a generation younger than Addison Chen's that is a household name Hong Kong movie star. Of course, there are still good Hong Kong stars. There are still good Hong Kong movies. But they don't have the sort of regional impact and popularity they enjoyed in the 1980s and 1990s. So the entire Edison Chen racy photo gate isn't just an encapsulation of a time before Me Too, before Instagram, before smartphones really took off, but it is also a time capsule of a Hong Kong that doesn't really exist anymore. The media landscape it had in 2008, that's just not there anymore. Now, if you're wondering what happened to Edison Chen, Cecilia Cheong, and Jillian Chong, I am glad to report that they all have seemed to pick up and moved on with their lives. After the scandal, Addison Chen, as I mentioned, did try to make his film comeback. And while he has films post-2008, most of his on-screen work is concentrated in the earlier part of the 2000s before the scandal happened. A lot of his endorsement deals, including one with Pepsi China, evaporated after the saga. And his film and entertainment career never really recovered to the heights of what it was prior to 2008. Instead, he turned more of his focus to his streetwear brand, Clot. Uh, he is still hot-tempered. He got in an online Weibo fight with Taiwanese model Ling Chiling at one point. He shaded Sean Rie, his Inferno Affairs co-star, and his streetwear brand on his Instagram. But he does seem to have found a path for himself, so to speak. He's an entrepreneur, you know, he dabbles in NFTs. And romance-wise, 
Though he really did seem to love Vince Young, the girlfriend who was with him at the time of the scandal in 2008, they stayed together throughout the scandal. They stayed together even for a few years after that, but eventually they broke up. He found love instead in the Chinese model Qing Shupei. They married in 2015, and they have a daughter named Alea, who will turn six this year. Of the female victims, only Cecilia Cheong and Jillian Chong remain active in entertainment. Cecilia Cheong shares two sons with Nicholas C, but the couple divorced in 2011. Nicholas C is now back with his old flame, Fei Wong. Uh, that's a cute detail. Cecilia Cheong has given birth to one more son uh, after Nicholas C. This is her third and her youngest son, but she has never revealed who fathered the child. While she is still very popular and very, very widely covered by the media as a celebrity, her film career did suffer. She doesn't have many films or even memorable leading roles post-2008, and absolutely none that gave her the sort of critical acclaim she received in Derek E's movies like Lost in Time in 2003 and One Night in Mongkok in 2004. Now, while the scandal might have something to do with that, as I mentioned, the Hong Kong film industry had been slowly declining since the mid-1990s, which is possibly another episode for another time. But by the later half of the 2000s, the film industry was just not doing very well. So we have to take that into consideration as well when we examine Cecilia Cheong's career. Going on to Jillian Chong, who arguably, I would say, suffered the most career backlash. She, like Cecilia Cheong, did an interview in 2009 about the scandal. Just like Cecilia, she criticized Chen for being uncontactable, for failing to reach out to her and failing to apologize to her personally. She also revealed details about their relationships, saying that they were on and off for about five years and that he was her greatest love. Complaints flooded the TV station after this interview ad, even a whole year after the scandal. So you can imagine the sort of career difficulties that she was facing. Chong's scenes in two movies that came out in 2008 were completely deleted, and the pop duo she was in, Twins, also temporarily separated after 2008 for Jillian Chong to take a hiatus until about 2010. Love life-wise, she married a Taiwanese doctor in 2018 after less than a year of dating, but that ended in divorce fairly quickly in 2020. In my personal opinion, one of the rare bright spots in this truly horrible event in Jillian Chong's life is her twins mate, Shalin Choi. Shalin Choi, as I mentioned, had to go solo for a bit after 2008 when Jillian Chong was on hiatus, but she was always very steadfast about twins returning. And that's not a lie, because twins to this day are still together. They are one of the longest lasting girl groups in all of Asia. And they have a lot of solo activities. I wouldn't call their primary career focus now twins, but they had a concert tour with 24 shows from the period between 2015 to 2018. So that's relatively recent. And it is very, very clear that these two women are very, very close friends. And it's very sweet that Shalin Choi really stayed by her friend's side throughout this whole incident. And one of the more interesting things and, and an interesting coincidence is that both Cecilia Cheong and Jillian Chong got a career resurgence recently through the really popular Chinese variety series Sisters Who Make Waves or Chen Feng Po Lang de Jie This is like one of those K-pop idol production shows where they put a bunch of trainees together and make them compete and 
the final however many will debut as a group. Except in this show, all the trainees are established female stars above the age of 30. Now, Cecilia Cheong was in the second season in 2021. She was one of the finalists, but she didn't win, so she didn't make it into the girl group. Uh, Jillian Chong was in the third season in 2022, and she did win. So she did make it into the girl group, alongside her twins mate, Shalin Choi. So sweet. And in another coincidence and heartwarming coda to this story, both Cecilian and Jillian eventually reconciled with Edison Chen. Because, and this is true, they both separately bumped into Edison Chen while flying. So Cecilia Cheong was on the same flight back to Hong Kong with Addison Chen in 2011. So she went up to him in the VIP lounge and she chatted him up. Apparently, they had a good, friendly chat and she even took a wifi to commemorate the occasion. So it does seem like she has found it in her heart to forgive him. In a completely separate incident, Jillian Chong revealed in 2015 that she actually bumped into Addison Chen on an airplane as well. They were even supposed to be seated together, one behind the other, but she was so uncomfortable initially that she asked to change seats. But of course, Edison Chen saw her, and quietly, he wrote her a long letter of apology, which he asked someone to pass to her. In interviews, she said that a belated apology is better than no apology, and that this gesture gave her some comfort. And on this note, we have come to the end of Can I Tell You Something Crazies? two-part deep dive on the Edison Chen sex photo gate. If you've made it this far, I just want to say that this is a project I'm very passionate about. I don't normally ask for comments, but I put in a lot of effort for these two episodes, and I would really appreciate any encouragement and constructive feedback that you have. Do send your thoughts on these two episodes and any ideas you have about what I should cover in the future at genli at sph.com.sg or at podcast at sph.com.sg, or you can slide into my Instagram DMs at jenleerice. I will have a normal pop vouchers episode in another two weeks or so, and the next edition of Can I Tell You Something Crazy should premiere at the end of March. I have a topic in mind, but I'm not about to review it just yet. Suffice to say, we might be staying in Hong Kong for just a little bit more time. Stay tuned. I'm your host, Jen Lee, and thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.